0: How to transform your passion into a successful startup. Welcome to Leap, an inspiring podcast that focuses on the creative spirit inside us all. Jocelyn Bellows interviews accomplished entrepreneurs about overcoming obstacles and achieving greatness. Join us today and leap into a fulfilling and successful life.
1: Uh, this is Jocelyn, and welcome to another edition of Leap. Um, joining me today is Eric Janicki. Um, Eric is the co-founder of Prismagic. So first and foremost, welcome, Eric. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Thanks, Jocelyn. Awesome. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. I want to jump you right in and, and ask you, um, Eric, can you share with the audience what Prismagic is? And um, we're going to go a little bit, dive into its birth and, and how it came to be.
0: Uh, yeah, sure. So Prismagic is an immersive arts company that blends traditional arts, so installation art, sculpture, painting, all of the physical arts, with advanced cutting-edge technologies, so things like augmented reality and projection mapping, digital mappings, things like that, to create really meaningful and rich experiences for um, our guests. Uh, We were founded in early 2017, early January of 2017, and we have just opened our first large-scale independent production um, with a partner of ours, the Museum of Outdoor Arts down in Englewood here in Colorado.
1: So explain first to the audience what immersive art really
0: is. So immersive art is probably the hottest area of the arts right now. Immersive art really combines all of your senses, or addresses all of your senses to immerse a guest in an experience. So by engaging all of the guest senses, the guest has a much richer experience and really sort of a transportive experience. And when the, um, the experience is done right, it can be super powerful. Um, much more powerful than traditional art forms, which are more limited in, in how they're be experienced. Um, so you're seeing a, a huge explosion in the industry. Um, locally, the owl wolf is sort of the name in the Rocky Mountain region, though immersive experiences, of experiences, you can, you can literally date them back hundreds of years. Um, a lot of people don't connect the founding with sort of the operas of the 16th century. Um, I usually talk about them um, starting more recently and just because it's more accessible for people with Disneyland, the opening of Disneyland, which was really just a big immersive experience as art and you can interact with and experiences you can have. Their focus is a bit more uh, live and stuff like that. But they were sort of a milestone in the concept. Um, And then you just fast forward, and then you have the emergence of haunted houses, and rooms, and sleep no more in New York, and all these other experiences. um, With technology enabling the growth of the industry, now you're really starting to see um, the industry grow exponentially.
1: So how did you choose this as your path
0: of entrepreneurship? So this... Um, Because Magic was born out of the last company we started in late 2012, a company called Artistry, Events, and Design. Um, I had helped start a financial software company that we sold to another company in um, 2012. And I was looking for my next opportunity, um, saw that there was a space, sort of an opening in the arts to do some really creative things. Um, so we formed all the three events and design in design late 2012 with the intention of using it as a vehicle for us to eventually build our own large-scale experiences. Um, but we didn't have the knowledge, the systems, processes to do that. Our creative reactor had the vision and more of a traditional background, so not scale, but rather smaller world. Um, and so to create the expertise to build it, store, we founded a company with the eye on the corporate market. So AED was an event design and production company that created events for large and fortune companies. And we used that client base to create the expertise to build at to build the things that we knew we eventually wanted to build. Um, Come late 2016, we produced uh, what we consider to be our sort of capstone of this big immersive um, experience for a corporate client. At the end of that, we said, you know, we now have the expertise and all of the elements we need to build our own productions. It's time for us to set AED and we sold off all the assets. And start doing our own ventures. Um, and that's when we founded Prismagic so early 2017. Um, you know, the corporate market is great for getting your bills paid, um, for learning how to do things on other people's dime, but it really was not where our heart was. Our goal was always to create these cutting edge um, artistic experiences. That were meaningful for people, and that, in some way, transformed how they saw it in the world. And the corporate market is not about that. the corporate market is about making money. Um, and so we got to 2016. It was time for us to fulfill our our bigger purpose.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Can we? I want to take a couple of steps back. So you, you, yes, you spent some time in the corporate world creating these immersive experiences. However, if I recall, your background is truly in finance. So when you went from finance to your tech startup to this, what's that story? Um, how did you transition from finance to tech and then, and then down the road? Like, what were, were there any, Was there anything significant that was happening in your life that you had like a wake-up call or it was time?
0: Well, so my background, as you mentioned, is in finance, and I worked in the, in the equities markets forever. Mm -hmm. Um, since I don't know 96 maybe Um, we moved to New York I was working on Wall Street Um, did not like New York culture it's just anathema to our values or to my values and my values are sort of paramount in my life and I only live my life in accordance with them Um, so Wall Street's all about money and, and you know position and celebrity and all these things are just superficial. Um so after about a year and a half, my girlfriend who is our our co-founder and our creative director, um we moved back to Denver and I got in touch with an old friend of mine who it turns out had started this software company. It was super, super early stage. Um, and so I wound up joining him and helping him start that company. So you know, it, we got into tech, but it was financial tech. Mm-hmm. So I had a, a strong background in finance. And um, so that transition was a little easier than, say, going from finance to like a gaming company or, you know, CRM system or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was also my first really big foray into entrepreneurship at sort of the company level. And after, That experience, I was there for five years or so. um, Decided I wanted to do my own, sort of have my own company, do my own gig. Um, It was either going to be in software, which I thought had a great future, um, or it was going to be in something that I could do more immediately. So, software, I I would have required some more um, background in, and I would have had to network my way into teams that I could hire and, and build into a company. Whereas this art, um, the art startup, I could do immediately. Um, and so that's how we sort of transitioned into an art an art startup. And, you know, I mean, it sounds like, oh, well, that's super different from, let's say, a financial financial software startup. And it is on the products. But it's not on the process. You now the process is always the same no matter what you're doing. And so I was very comfortable with the process and what it, it took to be successful in a startup and what the steps looked like. Um, and so these jumps sound like super huge, but in a way, they're really more like jumps. So my first half step was from finance to tech, but it's financial tech. And then my next jump is um, finance, to a startup. So it's not the golf all. Is probably from the outside.
2: Yeah.
1: So, though I am curious of the thread that brought you to art to begin with, was that is that a value that you had that you've had for many many years, or how did you decide upon art as a way of expression and a reason for business?
2: Uh, well, so I grew up
0: in an art household. Mm-hmm. So my mother had her master's in silversmithing, was a super talented artist, but grew up in sort of that environment. My father was much more linear. He had an engineering degree. was He ran a, a company for a long time. Actually, his company was in finance as well. Um, and so it was very much a space that I grew up in. And when I was younger, I I had to decide between being in the arts, which for me, was more writing. I'm not a visual artist, I'm more of a writer. Um, or to be something that's more linear, linear and analytic. And because I found the tangibility of the linear analytic side more appealing than the intangibility of the art side, I went back. Um, so in the transition, into AED, it was really a space that was super comfortable. And for me, I was looking at art in a way as just a product, um, and so it was a product that plugged into an entrepreneurial background and understanding a process. And so it just it just seemed to make make a lot of sense, and it was not something I was. It wasn't like a whole new field. Um, Event services, and there is definitely less about going into spaces you don't understand or know well. Um, but I felt like the product. Was good.
1: So you take the transition from going corporate to where you are now, with the product that you're putting into the world. Why is it important for you to have that be something that is accessible to the public? Why is that important
2: to you? Well,
0: I suppose that really goes back to our mission statement. So Prismagic's mission statement, which I sort of alluded to earlier, is to harness the power of art to transform how people look at their at themselves or the world in some way. And so art allows for a certain impactful mission when it's done thoughtfully and when it's done with intent. So Intent and purpose, as well as values, are, are sort of at the core of, of our company, and then also our the co-founders, myself and, and Jennifer, and our belief system how we really live our lives. So, whenever we make a decision about anything, we always start with why am I doing? Not why, not why like what oh, you're sitting you shouldn't be, not that, in that sense, but what's the purpose behind what we're doing? And there's very little in my life that I don't, haven't asked that question about um, and gotten a very specific and clear answer to. How do you what's get
1: clarity about- around your answers? When you ask yourself those questions, the whys, what's your practice look like when you... When you ask those questions and, and processing the answer?
0: Um, well, it's, it, it really, I suppose, addresses a, a bigger um, sort of set of first principles. So, those principles are to live a, a meaningful life and have a clear value system in place that supports both creating meaning as well as. Creating individual sort of happiness. Um, so, for example, I'm not a huge believer in the efficacy of material wealth to improve your lot in life. Um, I think we, we may have talked about this at some point in the past. You know, beyond lower lower middle class, the correlation between increases in wealth and increases in happiness, difference. and I think it's for many people it can get negative um as you get really isolating and you start focusing on money instead of the things that we have evolved to um really be core to the which is more around community and um relationship and things like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I'm gonna take a moment because I, I think this is sort of centering for me, happiness really requires to come from within. And material gain and the needs and outside those are outside of ourselves. So when we start to really dial in to who we are as individuals, what are the things that make us tick? And you sort of touched on this, like you you saw a disparity in your time in Wall Street from what your values are to the work mm-hmm. that you were doing. Right. Is it fair to assess now that you're in greater alignment between your values and and the and the work output?
0: Oh, totally. The tone of your life totally changes when you find meaningful work. And I don't mean work in the sense of, oh, it has to be your, your quote unquote job,
2: right. um,
0: but work in the sense of something that you are striving to achieve in the world, even if it's not compensated, even if it's something that you do outside of your nine to five, mm-hmm. which for many people is the way they should do it. Um, the tone of your life changes and your focus really changes and there's a certain sort of an underlying drive and passion that you start to experience. Um, The way I think one one way to test whether you're in alignment or on the right path with something like that, maybe you can be on the path of lots of different things and you don't have to be like all this significant Mm -hmm. and like, Oh my God, I have to get, you know, it has to be, everything has to be such a big deal. I'm going to put all my, all this pressure on myself and and not everything like that to be like that. But for the things that you choose to really focus on, um, I find the test being that it's effortless to do what you have to do to accomplish things in that space. And you kind of can't imagine not doing
1: it. Yeah. Like it's, and, and to translate that, it's easy to work 80 hours a week towards something that you love because it doesn't feel like work. Right. right because it's something that you just it sort of almost emanates and pours out of you to the point that you know if you stop yourself it's actually you're stopping yourself rather than just allowing it to be in existence and in presence with you
0: right right and you start you know you start looking forward to the next thing you do and just to clarify you know there's that there's that sort of the 80 20 Steve Jobs rule too um, and it's unrealistic to think that it's that that saying if you have a job you love you never will work a day in your life. Yeah, you will, of course you will. And it'll be probably like 20% of the time. Um, But that's a great ratio, you know? Most people it's sort of like 90, I hate when I'm doing 10, oh, that was decent. Or something, you know, 70, 30 or whatever, something skewed in the wrong way.
1: Yeah, and um, it's funny, I had a conversation just earlier today and we were talking about, as he was getting ready to go to work every morning um, in his corporate job and, you know, was killing it financially, He's like I. I get out of. I would be in the shower and I. I would sit down because the moment that I had to get up, it meant that I had to get up, get out of the shower, get dressed, and go to this job. And that really hit me very hard. And saying, "Oh my gosh, that you know," I. I translated that as some depression. Like you don't even have the energy or excitement in life to get up to stand up because it's that much of a dread. And gosh, isn't it amazing that we have these opportunities? If we should choose to to create a life of joy, and it doesn't have to come out of your work, I mean, it can be like you said, outside of other things, outside of work. Gosh, wouldn't it wouldn't be wonderful if it was a part of your everyday life, right? So,
2: yeah.
1: yeah so to, tra- to sort of translate that, how does that sort of translate for you with what with what you're doing with Prismagic Magic now? And and I'd love to also dive into the um, experience that you that you, that's open right now too. So.
2: Um.
0: Well, so for us, when my experience has been having started a few different companies now, and having read about other people who've you know started companies, there there always comes a time when it's like your oat moment, and often it's several moments. These are the moments when you when things are at their blackest. You don't see a way out of out of the situation you're in. Um, it's it's just these real nasty low points and. Without a fundamental belief in what you're doing, um, I can't imagine getting through that. Mm-hmm. You need—that's when you really have to dig down deep into your reserves and just keep pushing forward. Now you can willpower that stuff, um, and that will get you so far. And you can have you know incredible work ethic, and, and your integrity will support you, and you simply represent to yourself and the world a certain. Um, sort of content of character. Mm -hmm. And so you can sort of, you can work your way through that on the basis of those personality traits, right? Basically summed up by the, I'm gonna gut this out kind of thing and I'm just never gonna give up because I'm tenacious. Um, And I think that will get you through the short-term lows. It's much easier to get through the short-term moments if you also have a higher purpose. But in the long run, I, don't, I think it's much more damaging to go th- through all these struggles without a reason for doing it, other than money. You know, some, some people will get super tied up in money, as you see in Wall Street um, and all over the place. But one, I think it's, you're really much more likely to burn out. And if you don't burn out and you do succeed, you get to the end of the road or of that particular path and it's like really empty. And you're like, okay, well, why did I do that? You know, okay, so I have some money, but that's all I got. And now I have to go back to the beginning and figure out some kind of purpose for myself. And now I don't have the simple societarily is that the word handed um Reason of making money. So if you haven't done that work already, you're going to wind up running into it down the line. You know, the older you get, the more you realize that you know sacrificing your time for money is is sort of a hollow trade. I often think of it, or I like to describe it as you're spending something very dear, your time, and something very cheap, which is money. Uh, know, I'm not sure if that' answer your question,
1: but well, no, I, I'm actually really glad you went there because i I actually wanted to go to this section this space. um and I'm gonna start with this of you know how incredibly important, how important is it to identify your why and your purpose early on when you're building a company and when you're starting a business?
0: Um, well, I think that you should have that identified before you even started. I mean that's this that's step that's always step one. For me and anything I do. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it doesn't make sense to start something without having decided why you're starting. Um, and I, wanna, I just wanna touch on something else as well. You know, there's this concept of means goals and ends goals, and in order to. Um, and don't let me, don't me I wanna talk, talk about both of those. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably start talking about one of them and then just forget about the other one.
1: I'll bring you back. I, I truly yeah. actually had a conversation around means goals and goals last night.
0: Oh, really? Yes. Cool. But I'll start, let me start with the the second one then. Uh, okay. In order twos. Okay. So I think in order twos are fine, but you don't want to spend your entire life doing that.
1: But so Those are means
0: goals. goals to me. Those are means goals. Right. In order twos are means goals. Uh, Go yes. Yes. And then I use I use means goals and end goals in a in a specific way too. Okay. That's related to that. Um, Probably probably closer, but anyway, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing things in order to get an end result. Um, So you may, when you're first starting out and you're young, you may do things to make the money, because that is important foundational. It's not going to bring you long-term happiness, but it will set you up to do other things. Um, You know, money is as energy. If you have enough energy, you can start directing that into more meaningful and higher purpose endeavors. Um, but I see so often people never send out of the order to. So they do do something in order to meet an end goal, let's say they make a bunch of money. And then that's all they know is in order to. But so then they start another endeavor or company in order to make more money. But there's nothing behind it. So at some point, I think it makes a lot of sense for people to start doing things for the sake of doing them, not in order to create something else.
1: And when you say when you say that, what
0: do you mean by for the sake of doing them? What does that mean? Um, so I would say that of two things. One, you do them just be simply because you enjoy doing them or they're in some way, in your opinion, worth doing. Independent of anything else, they're simply worth doing um, or you love doing them. So that might be your passion. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might be more of a purpose. So maybe someone starts a nonprofit in Africa that drills wells, you know, wells for water for local um, villages that don't have access to water. water. So that's a sort of purpose-driven reason for doing what you're doing. That's a real mission-driven endeavor and then reason why um, is your reason for being. So there's nothing wrong with it being for yourself and fun one of your passions, or it could be for more more purpose-driven.
1: Do you equate those end goals as a way for self-fulfillment or fulfillment in general? Do you? Do, is there a correlation there or unrelated?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think that, that end goals are by their definition. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say meaningful. There's, you know, you can pull a whole lot of different slightly favored adjectives out of this positive experience or positive emotion basket. And they all mean different things, but they all come from the same place. So you can think of it as happiness. It could be purpose. It could be mission. It could be for the benefit of other people. Um, I, I consider all of that to be very meaningful in a way, like worth doing. Mm-hmm. Um the way I tend to talk about means goals specifically uh, versus let's say um means and ends goals is you know possibly different from how, how it's traditionally used. I I just want to move it up on my own. And so maybe there's a of more more widely accepted lexicon for this. my experience is that most people are focused on means. Goals.
2: Mm-hmm
0: in their like what they do in their day-to-day activity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that will show up like I'm going to get this take this job because it's going to make me um or I am going to do this activity. I'm going to go skiing because it's going to make me mm-hmm. skiing or that job you took of your means goals. Your ends goals is actually happiness. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that you actually don't care about your means goals at all. You actually can care about your ends goals, but our language inflates them. And so most people tend to think of them as a single thing, and they're not. If you can unpack them and then say, okay, I'm gonna focus on my end goals, A whole array, a world of possibility opens up because you can now choose all kinds of things to get to your end.
1: The Um, the means, the means goals become illuminated in so many
2: ways.
0: Right. They become just a vehicle. Now I can choose any vehicle that I want to get to that end goal. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand the difference between those two, you can get trapped into like this cycle of means goals all the time um because you're so focused on the veal so you keep going back to the same things all the time even if maybe they don't work for you because you think that doing that means you're going to be happy
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um and and they're different
1: yeah and it's interesting because I want to take that into life lessons, life lessons. These means, goals, and sort of go to that direction of when we have scenarios that play out in our in our lives again and again and again, and we keep getting that same outcome. We haven't learned the lesson. There's still yes. something there to learn, right? Right. right,
2: right. Um, and
1: I think that I mean, so to kind of, I you know I'm sort of taking it from means and means goals and goals. But I think there's a parallel there of if you continue to the same road of means goals to try to hit this end, the end goal, we still take that same pathway and not changing or not actually looking at the means goals of how is that, or how is it, or how is it not getting us to the end that we actually are trying to get. So almost going back, going, jumping to the end and saying, "End my end goal is this, this is what I want. Now we're, Reflect back on
2: how we can achieve it. Right.
1: right.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think kind of an interesting um, example of that is the practice of meditation. So, the practice of meditation can have many, of course, different outcomes everything from, you know, performance optimization to um, tranquility and de stress to seeking happiness. Um, but taking the goals of meditation, let's say you've selected um, sort of tranquility and happiness.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: is what you want to get out of meditation well in that case meditation is your means goal and tranquility and happiness is your ends goal and ultimately what your means goal is is doing nothing because meditation at the physical level you're doing nothing right Um, yeah, I know. I get it in your in your head and in your mind and all that stuff. But you're physically doing literally nothing.
1: You're physically doing nothing. However, it's very much a practice.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's a
1: practice of turning that mind off, which is very difficult. I find very difficult personally.
2: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. I think I think everyone everyone shares that. Yeah. Um, but to me, that example is a really great example of. Focusing on the end goal Mm -hmm. um, because your means is literally nothing. So if you could learn to be happy and to have this full range of emotion and this full rich life experience with joys and sorrows and you know conflict, drama, everything that we we all want to have in or we use to define a really rich life, with just sitting in the lotus position and just meditating. That would be, in terms of your experience, the exact equivalent if you went out and climbed Everest and had these, you know, toured love affairs and did all these things to create that same emotional experience.
1: Different avenue of means to arrive at the end.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. Um,
1: so then, how does that, I want to circle back to how does this conversation, the end goals, the mean goals, play out? In your experiential exhibit that is going on right now, how does that sort of illuminate within that space?
0: Um, well, we don't really specifically address means and ends goals in this particular exhibit. This exhibit is really more about an exploration, beginning the beginning, sort of the the inner exploration, and also starting the conversation about a deeper philosophy and deliberate way of living.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, a conversation about means and ends goals uh, is something that we would more likely look at in a later a later installation. Um, we're fairly limited in our space and what, what we can do. And so we, we, we have to sort of pick and choose specifically what we want to explore. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also want to make it very broadly accessible. So these, I think, are more advanced sort of conversations and probably require a lot of sort of backgrounding and and exposure to ideas that maybe not a lot of people have had.
1: So it's interesting. I, I sort of see it a little differently in the respect, having gone and walked through and experienced this current exhibit, I can define for myself what my end goal is in in being a part of that experience, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I can also define a means goal to get to that end goal because it's my experience within that space. It may not have been the interpretation that you as the creator put out there, or maybe you see it differently, but I think every individual who's going to walk through it and be a part of it and immerse themselves may or may not... Go in with that expectation, but may already define
0: it when they're there. Just right. Calm. Yeah. So let me, let me just clarify what I meant by by my previous answer.
2: Hmm.
0: We didn't deliberately, deliberately intend to make means goals and ends goals a focal part of the exhibit. Um, however, with all of the arts, what people take away from them, take away from an experience, is deeply personal. Mm-hmm and is Great. largely driven by things outside of the creator of that experience, so the artist.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the, the fundamental nature of, of art, really. Um, in some ways, I think of art, and not the only way, but in some ways I think of art as like a set of tarot cards. So I don't really believe that tarot cards will tell your future that's not my jam. Um, But I think they're a really interesting tool because they sort of force you to examine yourself and ask yourself a lot of questions about who you are, kind of experiences you've had and what you can expect. So in that way, art can ask the same questions, provide the same sort of um, stimulation for thought. Whatever... Your own personal experiences with that art, whatever you think what you're thinking and feeling about it, whatever direction it puts you in, um, is as valid if it has nothing to do with the artist's original intent
2: mm-hmm.
0: as if it was in exact alignment with the artist's intent. The artist's intent is in some ways completely irrelevant. The artist's physical expression, mm-hmm. so the thing they build or paint, create, is largely, the act of creation is largely, I think, a product of the conscious mind. However, the sort of intent and meaning behind that act of creation can also be influenced by forces that the artist themselves is not consciously aware of. Mm-hmm. So even though an artist may express that their intent was A, and at some level there will be some of A in that, that doesn't mean that A is the only thing that's going on with it. There may be a B, C, and D coming from people within the artist that they have no conscious awareness of that translates through their act of creation and into the into their work.
1: Yeah, I, I and agree. I, I agree with everything you've just said. I think that art by and large is interpreted by the individual. It's an individual expression. The artist is gonna put it into the world, however they've chosen to put it into the world. And the others, everyone who gets to experience it in whatever manner, whether it's you know through this immersive experience, whether it's looking at a painting on a wall, each of us is gonna have an individual expression around that. As you guys began this foray into building the current the current exhibit, what was your intent? What were you? What were you delivering to the world?
0: So, if I understand your question, it, it's really answered sort of by our mission.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: our mission statement is to harness the power of art to transform how people look at themselves or the world in some way. Okay. So for this particular exhibit, it's focused on the former of those two goals, to transform how people look at themselves in some way. So this part for Natura Obscura, which literally translates as hidden nature, that experience is about transforming how you look at yourself in some way. So it's an exploration of the inner mind. Who are you? Um, And why are you the way you are? So the exhibit is split into two broad sort of parts. The first part is an exploration of the foundations of the human mind, and it draws heavily on classic, classical Greek thought. So, under classical Greek thought, there are four fundamental elements that, when combined in different portion, makes you you. So that's earth, air, water, and fire. We also incorporate what we call the spirits of the forest into the first half or introduce them in the first half. And the spirits of the forest are sort of related to those classical group elements. And they are um, sort of personified elements of personality. Um, and so there are six of them and and they're correlated with the four elements. So there's sort of the spirit of the plains and the spirit of the mountains, which are related to you know, the element of earth and fire and water, air and spirit of growth and all these different things. Um, But these two categories, very traditional for Greek elements, as well as these six years of the forest um, are the focus of the first half. So we're laying this sort of foundation um, of personality. This is how personality is built. Then the second half of the installation is really about the higher rhythms of the mind and thought and philosophy. So, the, in the second half of the exhibit, we start looking at philosophic traditions and schools of philosophy and, and spiritual belief and um, thought, and like Fibonacci or at least bring symbology around all of those elements into the experience.
1: When you began to assemble this idea. And, and then do the physical assembly.
0: How, do,
1: how did you attack it? How did you approach it? This is a, it's a very multi-layered, rich experience. How did you even begin?
0: So it, I'm gonna take that question to mean sort of the, very much the physical process, like this, um, which I think is what you're asking. So it was, it was very much from the start, sort of a top-down approach. So we started at the highest levels and said, okay, what is it that we want to address and sort of examine within our larger mission statement of transforming how people look at themselves in the world in some way,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: which is really, if you go back even farther, an expression of who we are as individuals who have made deliberate conscious choices about what we want to represent and be in the world. so once we started, you know, operating under that framework, then we said, okay, we're we're going to to have a very, our vision has always had a very curated experience, and to take our our visitors on a, a very deliberate sort of journey. And if we're going to create a real pathway, by necessity, it almost requires a top-down approach, or sort of a, a bit of a hierarchical approach. Mm-hmm. First is let's say, all right, we're going to get thirty artists, throw them in a room. You each get, you know, four hundred square feet. Do whatever you want. Um, then you just get off and a non-sort of um, structured narrative. Just right. So we really had to do that the process. So we had an overarching philosophy, and then sort of laid out the high level design. Then we took it down one more level and said, okay, we're going to start adding um, specific elements as well as specific materials that convey uh, a very sort of specific mood and feel. Um, and that's about where we stopped in terms of the top-down. Because we also don't, we want to harness every, all of the artists' creativity and let them have a in the process as well. So from that point, sort of the stage is set. And we know kind of with some degree of specificity what it exactly is that we want to build. Then we can bring the artists in, um, sort of indoctrinate them into the um, entire process and the vision for the experience. Let them play with the materials and gain some expertise so they can physically have some freedom and mastery to create um, with the materials we'd be using. And then allow them to operate within the confines that we've created and sort of the parameters and let them sort of bring their own um, value add into um, their work. And if they they happen to have an idea that was sort of out of the structure that we had created but still made a lot of sense with our objective, then we would absolutely bring it in. (laughs) And we really wanted to be able to say yes to everything that we could. You know any any crazy idea, as long as it's intentional and um, made sense with the objective, we would say yes to.
1: And what does that culminated into for you? What it what it looks like to you, or what it feels like to you, the end product.
0: So, you know, Natara is everything that we could have hoped it would be. Mm. I mean, it's visually stunning. Um which is important, you know, I mean, you, you have, life lessons don't have to be boring and drab, you know, and bigger purpose thing. And certainly they they probably should be fun, right? I mean, you're doing kind of cool exploratory work.
2: right?
0: So it's got this, you know, layer, and we also want it to be in a way bright and shiny um, just to attract people to it. Um, And then once they're attracted to it and sort of enrolled in it, at a super, more superficial, visceral level, then we can really draw them into a deeper conversation, if, if they choose. I mean, people can just operate at a, at a higher sort of visual level and sensory level, and that's fine, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You can do whatever you want. If you want it to be fun kind of cool and funky and different, I mean, you can just take that away, like, hey, I had a, a, a really fun hour, hour and a half in the, in the experience, and that's, that's great too. Um, but for us, it's really the culmination of the first steps we wanted to take. And we were able to maintain our integrity with the whole process Mm -hmm. and do with it what we really wanted to do.
1: How, how important was the integrity piece for you?
0: We won't do anything that doesn't have integrity. So we're a very, very values and principles based company, Mm -hmm. which as a side note for entrepreneurs, makes decision-making super easy. It's when you try to be pragmatic and ignore values and principles or don't lead with values and principles, that's when your decisions get hard. Mm -hmm. Then you have to start weighing short-term, intermediate-term, long-term costs and benefits of what you're doing. Um, And you try to make these really strategic sort of arithmetic and financial decisions about what course of action you're going to take. Uh, when you leave with principle and value, it's your answer is self evident almost all the time
1: because it's right there, it's inside of you, yeah. almost to the, almost to the point of it's just it's your intuition and you just know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we always, you know, for us, we always say, um, "Is this the right thing to do?" If it's if it's a, a an issue that requires sort of a right or wrong answer, or there's some element of right or wrong to it, mm-hmm. um, then we just say, "Well, what's the right thing to do?" And I don't care how much it costs me to do the right thing, we're going to do it. Um, except for, I mean, the most crazy, ridiculous, you know, extreme example where the wrong thing has virtually no harm, but it crushes the company. Well, then that's probably not a trade-off we'd make. But for the most <laughs> part, that doesn't happen, right? They're all living in this realm of the not ridiculous example, and it's super easy to answer those questions. So we start with that question. And then we'll also look at, at Principle. If there's not a question of right or wrong, because not every question is right or wrong, it could simply be who do you want to be in the world and um, how do you want to operate? And are you long term greedy or short term Like we're long term. Um, so, for example, you know we've we've hired people who gave us our rate of, a certain rate of pay, um, and we've said no, that's not enough. We're going to pay you more. Um, One, because they thought they were worth more, um, and that seems like a nice thing to do. Um, But also our principles are we're we're here to build long-term value, to create long-term partnerships that are incredibly valuable and where you do incredible work. And the best way and probably the only way to do that is to create win wins for everybody. I mean, that's just straight out of Stephen Covey, right? So mm-hmm. um, we make all of our non right and wrong decisions off our first principle, and those principles are all live in the realm of long term value, creating partnerships, you know, treating people well and with respect, helping people to fulfill their own. Career paths and and help them fulfill the things that they want to do, and if that means that you have to help them out of the organization, not like fire them, but like hey, I know that long term you want to do this, you know, we'll help you do that, you know, and and we may not want you to go, but you know that's what you're about, and it, ultimately it doesn't matter for us anyway because you're going to leave anyway, you know, um, and that's and we're not doing it because we know that you're going to leave. That would be thinking about it more like in an arithmetic way, right. rather because we want you to be successful and we want to support everybody we work with.
2: Yeah,
1: it's a very different approach to come to yes. that point of positivity of, of acknowledging everyone's individual path and what what's best. I think yeah. you, you, and everyone wins. Um, as we sort of wind down on time, uh, final thoughts from you uh, about either what you're doing now, or thoughts for entrepreneurs out there, or people who are on the precipice of taking their leap, and may have some something that's keeping them there. Any final thoughts about that, and then and then how the audience can find out more about Prismagic and Natura Obscura?
0: Uh, yeah. So my I mean my final thoughts are just uh, start with your why, and always know why you're doing what you're doing. For not only your business business endeavors, but in all aspects of your life. Um, to find more about Natura Obscura, go to www.naturaobscura.org. And our company can be found at Prismagic with a, day, with a J, so P-R-I-S-M-A-J-I-C.com.
1: Great. And specifically for, for Natura Obscura, where is it being hosted? And what's the, what are the hours and how can people, um, how long is the exhibit around?
0: Uh, so Nicola Obscura whole, is hosted in the Englewood Civic Center building. So that's right at the intersection of 25, or Santa Fe and Hampton. Light rail station is like literally lets you out right, right next to the building. So mm-hmm. super accessible. Um, the exhibit will be open through at least April 28th. So that's our, our, our sort of commitment date. Um, It's possible we'll we'll extend it if if the demand is there, and so far the demand's been great. We've been selling out um, weekends, so. Um, You just opened,
1: so congratulations.
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, pre-sale tickets have been through the roof, so.
1: Awesome, awesome, Eric. I really appreciate you spending the time with me today and sharing. Gosh, not only what you're working on, but really getting to know you a little more as, as. a business person, but what drove drove you and what drives you and keeps you on course.
0: Thanks for joining us for this edition of LEAP. To learn more about LEAP, the podcast and coaching services, please join us on our LEAP Facebook page at facebook.com slash what's your LEAP.